Welcome back to the Lenten journey with Father Al and Jesus. We're here with Father Dan. Father Dan, how you been? Great. Great to be back with you, folks. God bless you. Good. Good to see you. So let's get some housekeeping out of the way really quick. So we, Father Dan, I don't know if you've heard down in Guadalajara, we've gotten a lot of feedback, a lot of people talking about the shack that you, I guess, encouraged folks to enter into last week. So if you don't want to miss, and Father, I'm sure you have something coming up later on the podcast, another sort of walking order. I'm not going to ask you now. We'll get into it later. But please subscribe, ring the bell to the one-to-one podcast. So we don't want to miss anything that Father Dan has to share down there in Mexico about sort of leading us through this Lent. Uh, second thing, Father Dan, you know, as, as viewers begin to get to know you a little bit better, really a lot of sort of things coming my way from emails, phone calls, and just a few of them, just two or three came to me this, this week. Two people said, did Father Dan work with Mother Teresa? You mentioned Mother Teresa twice last week. What's, what's the story with that? Well, my work with Mother Teresa was when I was a seminarian. I went down and helped at um, Otis Street in Washington, D.C. And this is when Mother was um, coming to visit for their annual profession of vows. So I met Mother numerous times. I held the medals of Our Lady of Miraculous Medal for her. So I met her numerous times and had many funny encounters with Mother uh, and beautiful encounters as well. Uh, just give me one funny encounter with Mother Teresa, because most people don't get the chance to have a funny encounter with Mother Teresa. <laughs> well, one time I was actually washing clothes with the sisters in this closet. They had these sinks and Mother was in town and she was flying up to New York and they asked me to drive her to, to National Airport, to Reagan Airport. And I said, sure. But the catch was they wanted to use my car. And I had this <laughs> 1986 Chevy Corsica with like blue corduroy seats. So I'm like, I said, sister, I can't, I got all this stuff in the back seat. Like everything was on the ground, like seven up cups. Um, and I was chewing sunflower seeds back then. So I had my chew cup and they're like, you got to drive. So I backed the car into a corner of the property at, at the sister's place and threw everything in the trunk. And then mother got in shotgun and I drove her to a national airport. <laughs> the funny thing is, after the car died, I mean, it was an ancient car. I had somebody tear the seat out. So I actually have the seat that Mother Teresa rode with me. It's like this, this, the shotgun seat. And we were driving through DC and Mother's blessing everybody with their hands. And we're just chatting away, man. I'm like, this is great. I'm riding next to a saint. So. You, I, I'm guessing you yanked the seat out because it's a relic. Is that is that why? Well, look, you can sit in the seat. I'm not going to charge you, but it would be better if you made a donation. So, <laughs> um, yeah, to work. Yeah, I have the seat. That's great, Father Dan. Did, so, did your did your car? We're last thing on Mother Teresa in the famous car ride. Did it smell like McDonald's, Big Gulp cups, chewing tobacco? I mean, did Mother say anything? Or are you are you good? No, we kept the windows down when we were rolling out, so to get that fresh air smell. Okay, very good. Does the chair smell like uh, roses, or does it smell like Fritos and McDonald's? Have you smelled it in a while? Or Look, all I know is that mother sat there, and people have sat in that chair, and they love it. They just love it. Excellent, Father. Thanks for thanks for breaking it down for us. Uh, the other one was this: you said that you averaged two points a game for Little Flower. Were you a jock back in the day? Were you an athlete or, or what's the deal with that? I mean, you look like an athlete. I'm not saying you don't, 
but but the folks wanted to know. Well, when I played hoops at Little Flower, I was the smallest kid in, in at Little Flower back then. So let's just say I, I did my best to run around and chase the ball. I was like a loose puppy chasing the basketball. I, I get it. High school, nothing? High school sports? Uh, baseball. Oh, really? What'd you play? Uh, second base. And well, I, I started as leadoff hitter, but then I was my batting average was dropping pretty rapidly like my GPA. So I was moved to ninth and the coach told me if you bat ninth, it's like another leadoff spot. <laughs> yeah. That old line, that line never works. <laughs> I got the same line when I got in the game. Yeah. Wells, we need your speed at number nine in the lineup. No, no, I'm batting two Oh three. That's why it never, it never worked. <laughs> All right. So we got that one handled. Uh, so the other one, last one is this. You're in Guadalajara, Mexico. Nobody has any clue what Guadalajara, Mexico looks like, what, it, what it's all about. You're a missionary priest down there. What, what's Guadalajara all about? Well, I'm, I'm sort of in, I'm on campus here with the, it's about 2,000 boys. And I've been here about three weeks. I've been, I've been really going at it hard. I've gotten through um, a ton of confessions with the guys. We started healing last night and we have adoration. So we have two huge buildings here. There's actually three buildings. And having adoration at night in two buildings. So I actually expose in one, run to another, expose there, have healing for those boys, do benediction and run back. So um, it's a massive movement of the boys. As soon as it's recess time, man, that, those basketball courts, they're full of guys, just kids just running. It's powerful. It's sort of like St. John Bosco, which it would have imagined, just kids running everywhere. That's the context. And then you got sisters weaving their way in between, not getting drilled by the ball, or sisters actually running with their families. The sisters love to run with the kids. It was part of Father Al's idea, because he was a runner, is to run with the sisters. I mean, to run with the children. Yeah, I've seen it. I've seen it, Father. It's exceptional. Uh, Okay, that out of the way, I do want to get into the theme of the podcast. The podcast, if you were listening last week, we're going to get into... Father Al, Venerable Al Schwartz, and his great love for Mary. And where did it come from? Father, if you don't mind, I'm going to sort of open up the story because I've researched his life extensively and and, and how he was led so um, intimately and so intensely to Mary. So, so Father Al, in 1952, took off for Banneau, Belgium, where he went to seminary. And there's an apparition site that no one knows about. It's in this little tiny podunk town called Benno. 300 people live there. Um, he uh, he said it reminded him of Nazareth or ours. Nobody was going to mass. So back in 1933, 25 years earlier, Mary appeared to this little peasant girl, a little 12-year-old named Mary at Becco. Her dad wasn't going to mass. He had 11 kids, none of them going to mass. The neighbors weren't going to mass. They had just kind of given up on the faith industrialization at the time sort of tore men out of the communities down to the big cities. So the problem was they, they, they gave up their faith. So, so Father Al was deeply drawn to the apparition site for two reasons. Mary said to this poor little girl eight different times, she had eight different messages, but two really resonated with Father Al. And Father Dan, I'll just share two with you right now. One was I am the virgin of the poor. I come to relieve suffering. And the second is, strangely, mysteriously, uh, Mary asked Mariette, 
plunge your hands into the water. And this is in January. In Belgium, northern Belgium in January, it's in the teens or below. So a very strange request. Um, but Mariette listened and plunged her hands into this brook. And Mary said, keep them in there. I think she was maybe talking to the penances that the three shepherd children at Fatima were told by Mary, certain penances that Mary wants. So I'm going to break it open right there. Father, are you aware of this whole apparition story? And sure. Father, I've studied the life of uh, Father Al and Mariette, so I'm very familiar with it. Yeah, and it's, uh, it's beautiful, the life of Our Lady Virgin of the Poor. It's powerful. Those uh, I often speak about those messages to the sisters and unpack them now for the in their in their work in their life now. So so uh, with with the plunging of the hands into the icy water that Mary requested of Mariette, her dad was out there and saw it. Her dad was like, "What are you doing?" And then the brother heard about it, and then the townsfolk heard about it, and they started to mock Mariette doing something strange. Can you talk about what you talked to the kids about, about this one particular apparition message? Well, it's more for the sisters, really, that I talk about this because I want them to really understand what Our Lady was asking Mariette to do was to plunge your hands in in a sacrificial manner. Yeah, the water was cold, but it was also a trust. So it's, it's through the suffering that a person really begins to have a deeper faith through a struggle that a person begins to really understand the profound invitation of Christ to go into suffering voluntarily and through that suffering comes an encounter with God. Yeah. Well, that, that kind of leads to what you were getting at last week where you encourage folks to enter into the shack um, so they can sort of encounter Christ and the Holy spirit in the shack. So they can jet out on Easter Sunday renewed and sort of with a resurrected heart. Um, I, I don't want to, I don't want to ask you, you know, is that something we should consider this Lent, like in a certain sense, sticking our own hands into like a cold water, a cold shower, however you want to term it? Well, of course, any 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 chosen uh, sacrifice that God gives us, Father Al has two words. It's sort of an active and a passive sacrifice. The active pass, the active sacrifice are the ones that we choose, the ones that we choose to plunge our hands into the water. The other passive ones are the ones that occur because of life circumstances. Those are the things that we have to respond to those moments of suffering, of pain, of struggle, of, of trial, actually. And in that place is the place of grace. So I think Mariette, because she trusted, because it involves suffering, so to speak, a plunging, but she came out with this encounter with God. And I, I think that's sort of a, a little idea of what Lent is. You go into the pain of the suffering and, and, and you really allow yourself to receive um, a grace that God is giving. Yeah. Yeah. So, Father, you, you mentioned a few things there. I'm going to pull out the word trust. As, as Mariette was walking toward through the snow, walking towards this water, and her father said, where are you going? Why are you walking there? She, he turned, she turned to her dad and said, she calls me. So in a certain sense, she no longer cared so much about her earthly father. She went to her divine mother in a certain, not divine, but her, her maternal, her Mary, and said, I need to do what Mary asked me to. So, Father, I think what you're saying is, is there is a cost. Oftentimes, Mary will call us to something where there will be a cost for us. Why, why does Mary do that? Well, it, it's, it's, it's her life. You know, her, 
her, from the annunciation, from the visitation, all of these things are really encounters with trust and there's a cost. She has to give everything. And then even at the foot of the cross, all of those moments are, are costs, you know, circling it back to really helping us understand in our own Lenten journey, unless there is sort of a cost involved, it, it doesn't produce the fruit that we wanted to. And all of the saints had these costs, as you call it. Father Al had a cost. Um, every person in life, whatever your vocation is, single or married or, or religious or priest, there's always a cost. And if you're willing to embrace the cost, then there's a grace that God brings and offers to you. Yeah, well, th well, that's it. Well, you just wrapped up uh, Father Al's 35 years as a priest. His last act, one of his last acts before he became a priest and, and shot off to Korea to be with the poorest of the poor, was he consecrated his priesthood to Mary in that village, in Beno, and he said, I will be, he said it, I will be your slave. I will consecrate everything I do for the remainder of my priesthood to you because you demand, you demand me like you demanded Mariette to do something that simply is not comfortable. So what does he do? What does he do? He goes off to Korea in 57. He sees paper thinned orphans lying everywhere. He sees the tubercular and he says, oh gosh, uh, yeah, I, I, I told Mary I was going to go after them. So what does he do, Father? You know what he does. He starts to pray. He starts to sort of sanctify himself by going into that shack and he, and he receives that maternal protection. He receives the Holy Spirit and he begins to build these kingdoms for the poor. So he went into the cost. He went into the pain and he did what he did. And, and Father, you see this. You see it. You saw it today. You're going to see it tomorrow with the sisters. I think in a certain sense, the sisters, because of the cost, they're more Martha than they are Mary. Yeah, well, they are because they, they want to continue the mission of, the, of Father Al's life and sacrifice and generosity and busyness. Um, you know, of course, they're contemplatives in action, really, because that's the only way you could continue the work. But certainly what Father Al did was, in my opinion, um, immensely rooted in Our Lady, because, you know, when he started this work, it started with hospitals and grabbing kids and helping kids and giving them hope and all of the abandoned. I mean, that was those were his friends as he wrote. And so when you really think about the work that he was trying to accomplish, he was trying to accomplish to the work of saving people through, through generosity. And he had to plunge his hand into the Korean soil, so to speak, and really dig into the pain of the people. And therefore he brought out this new life that was in them that none of them knew was there because they were just poor. Well, well that's, that's the thing, you know, there was a, he had a wingman down there, uh, a Monsignor Golosinski, and he said, I was there for 10, 11 years, and I saw what Father Al did with the poor. I, I was an eyewitness of what he did was stronger than what St. Vincent de Paul did. And I and I believe, after all the research and reading I've done and all the interviews, I believe that what Mary did through Father Al was perhaps the greatest, at, well, I, I can't say this, one of the greatest acts of Mary's intermediate or intercessory work through a single man. He put 170,000 kids through school. Today, Father, you're in the midst of it as, as their chaplain, 20,000 kids in 17 different locations. And, and I think it all goes back 
to Father out leaving Bano and saying, I need to suffer now. I need to do what mom wants. Well, yeah, I think there's a combo of the, what you're saying there to the listener. It was an active choice that he made to go into the shack. God brought with him suffering because of the work. Um, he writes very frequently about all the headaches and the worries. And, you know, he was starting this immense sacrificial mission that he had no real idea that he was going to be doing it. It, it. it just started developing because that's what happened. It was, it was developing through the work of his fidelity to Our Lady. And she kept adding, adding, adding. And as she added, he said, yes, it's a very simple life lesson. The more faithful you are to Our Lady in trusting and surrendering, then of course, what happens is she gives more because you don't keep it, you surrender it back to her. Well, that's it. He, he, Father, I think you know, he used to tell his, his uh, spiritual counselor, a sister Gertrude, a Carmelite, he would, he would write her these very tender letters. And he'd say, I see before me a mountain. And, and all I can do is, is, is go for the top of the mountain. I don't know what's on the top. Like you said, Father, I have these headaches. I have anxiety. I have worry. I need to raise another $3 million. I don't know where it's going to come from. But Mary tells me to go, so I go. So it's that, it's that surrender. It's that trust that I find so beautiful. And I think you well. Yeah, I agree. I think that what Father Al showed me is if he just trusts, it's not clear. It's not a clear path. But ask Our Lady, and if you trust that she is guiding it, and I believe that she guided him very clearly, and I trust that she's guiding me now, that what's happening is, what will happen is there will be immense fruit for her son. Yeah, that, that's it. Father, I'm going to side pocket the conversation really quick. Last night, I, I spoke to a Monsignor John Essef in Scranton, Pennsylvania, and I think you know him a little bit, Father. You spent some time with him. And, and here's what he told me. He said, and I think it's so beautiful, and it, and it speaks specifically to what this Marian dimension. He said, uh, Kevin, when I think of what Mary wants out of me as a priest, and he's a 94-year-old exorcist. A lot of people think he's uh, a mystic. He's a soul reader. He's, he's, he's got enormous power. Priests from all over the world, country, I'll say, come to see him for direction. He said, here's how I see Mary to my priesthood. I see myself at the fourth station, and I'm already beaten and bruised. The cross is on top of me. I'm bleeding out. And Mary crosses down and she looks at me and she says, John, you get up and finish this. You go. You finish this for the people. So I think that's sort of what Father, how Father Al saw it. I yeah. need to suffer to serve. I would agree. I would agree. And I think he embraced it because it became personal. Christ became personal in the poor, not just the poor, but he encountered the poor very obviously. As Christ. So, exactly, as Christ. So, Father, I, I would like you to get a, a few comments in before we have to go about what do you think in your prayer? Um, what was it like during those hidden years? Because we, we can talk about Father Al and how he was encouraged by Mary. But what about Jesus in those hidden years? You weren't there, but what do you think in prayer it was like for, for Mary and Jesus? Well, I think there was a fidelity that they had to each other, actually, because she knew she had the Savior of the world, that Emmanuel, God is with us. And yet at the same time, this was a faithful boy that knew that she too had been chosen. So there is that mutual communion with each other that I think is um, presented, so to speak, publicly through the visitation when Mary and Jesus visit Elizabeth and 
and John. And I think first you see that when there's a fidelity to each other, so to speak, in a person, there's joy. A second reality is at Cana, and again, these are just sort of off my heart, but um, Cana, when Mary notices a, a lacking detail, which is the lack of wine, and yet at the same time, Mary notices Christ's response. So there's a detail-oriented experience in the human heart that is responded to by the presence of Christ in each one of us in our vocation. And then I think Mary and Jesus, obviously united at the foot of the cross, whatever the folks are going through now in their suffering, it's evident, evident, evident that that our lady and Christ are consoling one another at the foot of the at, at the cross. And so I think those are three dynamics of the hidden life because that's where they learned to trust. That's where they learned to surrender and their human hearts were united in those hidden years. And I think that's what happened with Father Al. I think he came out of the shack. He came out, number one, with a beautiful joy. Number two, he came out of the shack, obviously with details in his heart, so to speak, about how to build these structures and, and what they would look like. And number three, he came out with a real sense that Our Lady would be with him in his suffering when he got Lou Gehrig's disease. That's just sort of a sense I get. Father, that's beautiful. And it, it, it tells me, if you can visualize it, so Mary was at the foot of the cross, as you mentioned. So if Father Al's at the foot of the cross with Mary, they can look at the gruesomeness of the scene and actually see it as a portrait of divine love. Whereas maybe Mary Magdalene or John see it as just grotesque and how dare, this is terrible what the Roman centurions have done. This is horrible. But Mary and, and Father Al can say, yeah, because they were sweat equity grinders in the fight as Mary was for Jesus her whole life as, as her mother and Father Al did for the kids. They look at the cross and say, yeah, that's how it's supposed to look. Yeah, I would agree. I, I think that the, the cross just teaches it with Our Lady that that it's you have to carry it all the way through is as Father, as Our Lady told Monsignor S, it's like, get up and carry the cross, right? Carry the cross, continue. Yeah, finish. Okay, yeah, finish. Father, last question. I'm going to make it intimate for you. Well, not too intimate, but uh, what? It, who is Mary for you in your own priesthood? Well, I, I guess I can answer that by not answering it. Let me tell you an example of a story I know of a girl that became a flesh for me. She's a girl from really one of the worst parts of Mexico, Guerrero. Uh, I've met her, I've worked with her. She would walk every day an hour back and forth to school. And Guerrero has really uh, terrible trafficking of human persons and also drugs. And her story just lives in my heart where she had no parents. She lived with her grandfather. Grandfather had an addiction to alcohol. And every day she walked back and forth to school. And anyway, one day she was, I mean, she was routinely chased by a narco. And it was obviously with the wrong intention. And um, anyway, one day she ran and he kept chasing and chasing and she would hide. And then he would, he would be near her, you know, kind of reminded me of Immaculate, where the, the people were outside looking for her, and yet she had to hold her breath, and she would run and run and run. And what struck my heart most is not just that encounter, because that's not too unusual here with some of the kids, especially the girls and the boys that are recruited. 
to join those things. What, what was more beautiful is when she would get home, there would sort of be no relief, but she had built prior to her parents leaving the home and leaving her with her grandfather, she had built a little altar to Our Lady of Guadalupe. And every day she would run and, and kneel before Our Lady of Guadalupe in gratitude for a safe arrival home. You know, that's what really speaks volumes for me about, you know, Our Lady guided her and this little girl, you know, 11, 12, 13, goes back consistently to Our Lady and Our Lady keeps her safe. So for me, Our Lady is the maternal presence that keeps me safe, that helps me run when the narco is near. Um, she is that maternal reality uh, that's, that guides me. You know, the, the thing that keeps coming back, and I think we do a, a kind of a rough job as Catholics is, you know, we look at Mary and the statue and you say, oh, Mary, isn't that great? That's a nice statue. Mary is alive. She didn't die. You know, she, she's with Christ in heaven. And, and so, you know, we believe that she was soon body and soul. So years, years ago, around the beginning of my priesthood, she just became alive. And I, I no longer just have, you know, the image of Our Lady around my neck or, you know, chucking a football and saying, Hail Mary, like that's the relational, uh, relational. She's a woman that lives with her son and the two hearts are united once again. So um, that's who Our Lady is to me. Uh, absolutely beautiful, Father. Thanks for telling the story of the poor girl, actually the strong girl in Guerrero and relating to how she and you are connected in the same, in the same way with Mary. Um, thanks for connecting that. Uh, so before we leave, I, I, Father, if I get this wrong, correct me. And I know you're, you're good at correcting. So I think what you did a few minutes ago is you invited the viewer going back to Mariette Becco, the 12 year old from Beno, who plunged mm -hmm. her hands into the icy water and just kept them there. Cause, cause mama Mary wanted her to, I think what you're inviting the, the viewer to do this Lent or maybe even after Lent is go to the places that you know are hard that you simply aren't going to, but Mary would like you to. Am I getting that right? Yeah, for once, Wells, you got it right. <laughs> Here's the deal. You know, I'm, I'm 53 years old. I know I look 27. But the goal is that, you know, Our Lady called me here. And what I realized is it's so easy to become complacent. You know, I mean, I can't run like these guys. Some of these boys here are like gazelles, man. Like I'm, I'm like running along like the 80 year old man, but whatever, I'm, I'm giving it my all, you know, especially in Chalco with the altitudes like 8 million feet up and the girls are running around like mountain goats. But what I realize is I am so grateful that I'm not comfortable. It, it is just so, so great. And it's not that I don't have food and I don't have all that stuff. That's not what I'm talking about. This is just new for me. And I guess I, my, my take home for you folks is this, like you got your shack last week. What is, what is life supposed to be if, it, if it's too comfortable? It's not worth living. And I don't want to sound like that's not the role of retirement or that's not the role of working hard. But there's a mission that God puts in everybody's heart that we have to do. And I just hope you don't, 
settle and say, okay, now that COVID's over and the, the election or whatever, whatever it has so, sort of um, swirled in your heart, I just don't want you to get comfortable because I could have gotten comfortable and then I don't want to be comfortable. And yet at the same time, when I'm not comfortable, that's the grace. That's where I plunge myself into the waters. And, you know, our lady really chucked me in the water. I said, yeah, you can throw me in the Mexican water in Guatemala and Honduras, whatever. The point is, it's life-giving. It's, it's, it's life-giving. And I think that's what's happened in, in my priesthood. So, yeah, that's the grace. That's the grace. Sorry, I got fired up and hit the wire. But, yeah, that's the grace. Father, thank you for articulating the grace and the challenge. We all need that challenge. Um, you, uh, your, your age, you do, you do look like you're, I would say in the seventies and you run like, you're not, not eighties, but father, you have the spirit of a teenager. That's what we love about you. Thanks, uh, so, so, um, before we close out with father, maybe giving us a blessing, please, if what father has to share and invite us into resonates with you for next week, week three of the Lenten journey with father, Al and Jesus subscribe. You know, just hit the button below, ring the bell, because Father Dan will come back at you and, and we'll hear more. Father, will we be in Guadalajara next week or Chalco? Uh, I'll probably go back to Chalco next week to Girlstown and start the confessions over again with the girls. So it's really a beautiful life, man. It's a beautiful life of just tons of confessions and healing and helping the girls. Look, I'm not Father Al, man. I'm, I, uh, I can't. My sh his shoes are too big, but I'm just bringing my, my little... Uh, two coins to the to the uh, church every day and offering those up to bring hope and healing to the girls and, and to the boys now in Guadalajara. Father, thank you. Fa yeah, Father Al was Lou Gehrig. You're a number nine hitter for your high school baseball team. <laughs> <laughs> so, so with, that, with that said, Father, please give us a blessing. Yeah, may the Lord bless you. May the Lord protect you. May the Lord be with you always. And through Our Lady, Virgin of the Poor, St. Joseph and Venerable Al Schwartz, May Almighty God bless you, folks. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. God bless See you, you next folks. Time, guys.